Welcome to The Alex Tremble Show, where we share the strategies and secrets you need to know in order to successfully increase your influence, build strategic networks, and advance in your career. An award-winning speaker, author, and leadership coach, Alex brings executive leaders from across the world to share their inspirational stories and insights to help you become an exceptional public servant while also reaching your career goals. Without further ado, here's your host, Alex D. Tremble. Hello, everyone today. Thank you so much for joining. Uh, we're going to be joined by, uh, uh, I think, a, a good friend of a good friend of mine, and not only a leader within um, his realm in the industry that he has focused on specifically, um, which we'll talk about a little, in a little bit, but he's also a leader in his community because he, he, we're going to talk about this, but he's not only focused on his organization, what his organization accomplishes, but he's also big in volunteering. And so we're going to hopefully have, have the opportunity to kind of Ask him about how he does that, how he finds the time to do that. Um, so we'll just say good morning. How are you doing, um, Choi? Thank you, sir. I'm good. I'm very well. I'm having, uh, I think we're going to have fun today. To <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure we will. <laughs> so, you know, I, I'm going to start off with uh, just saying, look, you know, you're the CEO and executive director of, of TEDCO, Maryland's Economic Engine for Technology Companies. Um, but you have a, a varied background in being um, the COO and, and, uh, and, high, and high-ranking leadership positions within many organizations, both um, quasi-government to educational to non-government. So I guess my question begins with, how did you get there? How do you see... How did you see the path to you rising up to these very senior level positions? Yeah, Alex, thanks for the question. Um, you know, um, some of it is planned, some of it is just, you know, circumstance, some of it is, is God at the end of the day, and I'm a man of faith. And so, um, but I'll, I'll answer your question this way. So um, I grew up in Houston, Texas. Um, mom, uh, with my mom, my parents were divorced, uh, and my dad was still a part of my life, but my mom is my mom and my sister. Uh, that I grew up with. And my mom uh, used to tell me that um, the good Lord has put us on this planet for one purpose and, and one purpose only. And, and that one purpose is to make a difference in one person's life. Challenge is you don't know who that word person is or when they're going to come into your life or the impact you're going to have with them. So therefore, you have to make a difference in every person's life you touch. And so, you know, I've taken that as my mantra, as, as my calling card. Uh, and but I've also tried to find those places like when I was at HBCUs where, you know, talent doesn't always go. Look, talent is at the end of the day, the heart of everything we do. People can talk all they want to do, but I believe that um, you grow an organization because you grow the people in the organization, not the other way around. And so I've, I've been blessed to be able to be in organizations and, and be with leaders who understood that and are willing to invest. And so part of what I've also done is tried to be in organizations uh, so that I could be part of the catalyst of, of attracting uh, a, a different talent set that would normally go. I mean, uh, would normally go, you know, why does a guy with, you know, background masters in computer science and the MBA from Harvard, you know, go to Jackson, Mississippi purposefully to go to Jackson State. Um, and and I, I, I still point to the work that we did at Jackson State as some of the best work I've done as a professional. But, but the point being is, uh, and the guy that I was working for, uh, you know, went to Columbia, uh, got a JD from Columbia. And so having a, a talent attracts talent. And I think we as black folks, we, we got to understand that talent attracts talent. And it's not about just you. It's about creating individuals around you 
uh, that really make that. And so part of my journey to your question has been understanding uh, the creation of those individuals and the creation of those and, and coaching those individuals. Someone coached me. And so I have, I've coached others and, 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 and hope, and I've seen others through the coaching that I've been able to be a part of grow their careers. And it's like, I've grown my career because of the support uh, of others. And so it's, it's, it's thinking of what my mom told me, uh, thinking about how you have others in your life and making sure that they're part of that. Uh, but having a purpose, having a passion around that, which you do. And when you have that passion, it's not a job anymore. It's a calling. You bring up so many great points, and I'm hoping I'm going to be able to touch up on a number of them. The first one I'll jump on is you just talked about um, coaching. You talked about um, uh, having relationships that that help you grow. Um, as I've spoken to leaders, especially very senior level leaders, I've they've expressed to me a difficulty in finding people who can coach them, finding people who can mentor them because they, they're at such a high level that it's, it's more difficult. Is that what you found? And if you, if, how do you go about finding people who, who can coach and, and help mentor you to grow even more effective than what you are now? You know, um, part of it starts with, and this may be getting me some trouble with some of your viewers, but, you know, some part of this starts with you. Um, you got to present yourself in a way. You got to go and do the work. You got to show that you are willing to be coachable. That's number one. And you got to show that you bring something to the table because people want to attach themselves to that. People want to help you if you want to help yourself and you are, are a leader. Look, I, I, my first kind of real job outside of the jobs you do when you're kind of a teenager, um, well, maybe really my second one, but the job I had, uh, I, was, uh, I went to undergraduate at Southern Methodist University. And at that time, SMU has, and they still do have, a co-op program. And the co-op program there uh, was every other semester you went, to, um, you went to work. And I worked for the old Rockwell International uh, College Transmission Systems Division, which was up in, at that time in Richardson, Texas. It no longer is there. But anyway, I, I got there and uh, I was electrical engineer but I quickly found out that I was not a very good electrical engineer. I, could, I couldn't <laughs> put together hardware for, to save my life. But what I had an affinity for was programming. And, and so I got put on a team that developed some software. I'm really going to age myself here. I got some software that did the old microwave radio uh, hops so you could check the, so suppose a guy having a drive from hop to hop to hop we can look at it uh, remotely and it's called remote control and monitoring. And I wrote a lot of the software for, for, for one of those systems. Um, and so because of that, and because I showed, you know, a, a desire to learn, I had a number of those individuals uh, who are still freaking part of my life. And this is, you know, 30, 40 years ago, who, who took a, an ownership in me, talked to me and, and, and got to me and, and, and helped guide me. And these were a bunch of white guys. And so I'm this young black guy. Uh, and they didn't, you know, there was no cultural connection. And I actually had a white woman who really took me under her name, Virginia. She really took me under her wing. I became, a, you know, her kind of her little son. My, my point to answer your question though is you have to present yourself as someone who is coachable. You have to present yourself as someone who brings something to the table. And you have to present yourself as someone who's willing to listen to that and take that guidance and, and, and be able to manage it. And then, and then the last piece of that is to pass it on. Uh, I think if someone is planted into you and fed into you, 
you got to take those and pass it on to somebody else. And if you're not willing to do that, if you, if, a, if you're not willing to be receptive or even be a uh, participant, you're going to have, I think, a lonely life and you're not going to be coachable and you're not going to be able to coach. And, and you're saying this not only to the quote unquote uh, entry level and mid level, you're also saying that people at the senior level and executive level also need to be presenting themselves in that manner. Absolutely. So that's a, that's a great, you, you, you're right. And so the people who, I think part of the challenge in corporate America is, you know, you, you know everyone in particular now uh, since uh, COVID and, and, and the, and the uh, situations happened, it's opened up, everyone's kind of, you know, all these white folks are kind of say, oh my God, what do we do? What's diversity? I mean, the biggest thing, every time I look on LinkedIn, somebody's got to hire a new diversity and inclusion person. I mean, I'm, my God, I, I went down the wrong career path, I feel like. You know, I should have gone and had a specialty in that. And so, um, and so that's all well and good and that you hired somebody. Um, actually, I'm on a group with SMU, they're talking about this, but unless you fundamentally change how people see this. And so part of this conversation is people just want to talk to black people. You can't just talk to black people. You got to talk to the white folks too. And they got to understand, yeah, they may not be out marching and, you know, saying the N word or, you know, doing anything bad, but because of the systems that we have in this country, because we have a foundationally, uh, segregated system in this country. We have, we have and you know, may not call it, people don't want to use the word racist, but we, we are being, as, as, as the book talks about, we're not being anti-racist. So you may not be a racist, but if you're not speaking out against this or doing something intentional against it, then you aren't part of the problem. And so in some ways you are being a racist because your, 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 your silence, whether you're black or white, your silence is supporting this, this, these, these systems that are set up that limit abilities of individuals, people of color, uh, women. And, and I think we don't talk enough about, um, you know, there's poor white people out there who, who, who have some of these same systems in place that work against them. And I think sometimes I don't even know these systems are working against them. And so uh, we have to have this open and we have to be honest and have an honest dialogue about what's broken in this country um, and not get mad when, and I've had this conversation with a number of my white friends, I shouldn't get mad when they espouse some emotional energy that, you know, may, may make me feel uncomfortable. I, I should be able to hear that and they should be able to hear my emotional energy. And having that conversation is what we lack right now in this country. But then to put that in a corporate environment, because we all have our little groups, we stay in our little groups. And, but the reality of it is, to advance in your career, you need individuals around you who actually don't look like you so that you can get out of your echo chamber. You can, you can push yourself and be something more of, and be more of what you're supposed to be. And that only happens because you get introduced. And let me, if I may, and I, that may be long when I apologize. I, I'm, I say this as coming out of the, of the higher ed space. Um, you just may get in trouble some of your viewers too, but I'm a little nervous about what's happening right now, particularly with this freshman and sophomore class in, in, higher, in colleges. Uh, you know, and I get the, the reason for keeping them in their dorm rooms or having them to do remote learning from their, from their homes. But here's the challenge. You think about your own career, your time in college. You really develop those relationships your freshman and sophomore year and you get outside of your little bubble. You meet, you know, the black kid from Houston meets the white rich kid from Beverly Hills, or I meet the Jewish kid, or, you know, I meet the kid, you know, from the, the, the hills of Tennessee. Um, you get out of the, you get out of the, that, that area. 
And my fear is that they are not going to develop those relationships, right? When they eventually do go back to campus, you know, they're going to be, you know, particularly for me as an engineer, um, once I got into my junior year, I was all about get the heck out of here, get these classes. And I'm, you know, freshman, sophomore year, I'm still trying to have a party, right? And so I'm still trying to go and meet people and do things. And I'm fearful as a society where we're going to be 10, 15 years from now when this, this cohort of, of students become, you know, leaders in government and corporate America, and they don't have the networks fully fleshed out that you got to develop, that I got to develop. That does concern me. See, man, okay, there's, there's so many things I want to touch on <laughs> what you shared right now. Um, we're we're going to circle right back down, back to those networks. I think that's a really important point, but I do want to one more step down this road. Again, as a senior leader, you are an executive of, a, of an organization. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of uh, leaders who feel like they don't feel comfortable having these types of conversations because of possible dynamics, because people who may disagree with them and will that mess up my business, will mess up my career. You know, how did you decide to be to feel comfortable having these types of conversations? And then have you ever had to, have you found yourself having to, you know, I don't want to call it code switch, but use different words, different language with different people to try to get yeah. the point across? So two things. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you have to, if you're going to do this, if you're going to want to be coached and be coached, you have to, first of all, want to be vulnerable. And I think that's part of what you got to, you got to present that vulnerability. You got to present um, and you got to allow people in. Um, and I think that's the, uh, you know, there's all these tools around emotional intelligence that, you know, didn't run around when I was, you know, coming up, but they're out there now. I think there are valuable tools because I think that's what was missing. You know, I think we didn't know that's what we were talking about, but that's what it was, what it was about was, you know, how vulnerable will you allow yourself to be? And, and, you know, I tell my, my, my wife friends this all the time now, I so, say, you know, the challenge we're having in this conversation is that I have to live in your world. You never have to live in mine. And, and, and so they never have to think about that. They never have to think about what it's like to be me, right? They don't. But I do have to think about how to exist in this, this, this majority white world. And so being able to say that, uh, again, back to my mom, as my mom used to say, you know, you can say a curse, you can curse somebody out without saying a curse word. How you create that language so that you can have that conversation is, is what you got to do. So as an example, and then I'll close with that. So when I was in Oklahoma, I, um, I, uh, um, I worked for South, the old Southwestern Bell and as, as I had done this really cool E9, back this E911, which, you know, people's like E911 project, like in the uh, early 90s, largest at that time 911 system deployment in the country. I led it, done good stuff, got awards about it. So as a reward for all this good stuff I did, they shipped me to Salisaw, Oklahoma. Now, uh, somebody can pull up a map, do their Google. Salisaw, Oklahoma is in the eastern part of Oklahoma. Um, they hadn't seen a whole lot of black people, uh, professional black people. Um, they, um, no one would literally would give me, would let me rent or, you know, uh, get a house or, you know, so I end up doing an apartment thing and commuting back and forth. And there was a skinhead camp in the northern part of my territory. And I had, uh, had one of the guys on the, on the, on the crew who flat out was racist. Um, and, and I had people call me the N-word. I had all kinds of craziness happen to me, man. It was not the most fun time. But I ended up, uh, it was a crew of about 12 folks spread across three towns. 
I was there long enough to, to actually improve the crew in terms of their performance metrics. But this one guy who was um, you know, this racist, he actually had hurt himself. So he had to come spend more time with me in, in the office. And we didn't get along uh, for, for anything. So, you know, fast forward, you know, I get the crew, I tell my two managers up, I say, dude, I'm going to either shoot somebody or somebody going to shoot me. It's going to happen about the same time. I can't, can't keep doing this. I got, I got a master's degree from Stanford. I, why am I doing this? So they ended up moving me. I was there maybe six, seven, eight months, I can't remember. But you know who led the party for me when I left? The guy that was the racist. Um, because what happens is we have images of one another yeah. that get reinforced because back to my point about networks, because of our echo chambers, because, and so his view of me was what his world told him about a black man. And I presented to him a very different view of what a black, of what a black man is and could be. And he presented me a different view of what a white guy who grew up, you know, is the way he grew up. And so part of this, man, we got to create a, a, a system to, to allow that. I, I'll close with, I, I tell the jokes, find out the best one. I said, if I'm at a bar, if I'm at a bar, and on one side of me is a Klansman with his white robe on and with his noose right next to me. And there's another dude, white dude next to me in his Armani suit, you know, calling me his friend. Which one am I buying the drink for? I'm buying the drink for the Klansman. Because at least the Klansman is honest with me. I know he wants to hang me and whatever he wants to do. I don't know what this other dude wants to do. And so I, I prefer the honesty of who and what you are. And let's, let's start having that conversation versus hiding behind what you think you want me to hear. You, you, you know what? And you, as you gave that example, um, it made me think of my wife. My wife's from Myanmar, uh, Burma. And she consistently reminds me that um, she is not living in her culture. She's not living in her country. She's living in someone else's country. Mm -hmm. And all the things that we don't even think about, she has to consider as she operates the cultural norms and, you know, what's right, what's wrong, how to speak. Is her English working correctly? Mm -hmm. the, you know, is she going to come off not smart if she, if, her, if she has an accent? All those things she has to consider on a daily basis. And it just made me think the same way about Again, if we're talking about the the white and black worlds, um, we ha we have to. Um, we're not living in our own world. We're living in someone else's world. We have to consider all those things. And am I wearing a suit and tie now? Am I am I less frightening now? Like yeah. all those different things. I I, I really appreciated that example you provided. Um, and then to turn now to networks, I think that's that is critical. Um, I tell people, you know, I. I the, I'm worried the same exact thing. You know, everyone being on these online platforms going through education where, again, one of the most valuable things I gained via my school is my relationships, the people yeah. I, I connected with from different places all across the world now. Um, so I, you talked about the, the importance of talent. You talked about the importance of having uh, relationships, these networks. Have you ever been one, are you one of those people who, um, who collect people like when you, you go into a role you know in your mind okay i want to bring this person this person this person with me or have you ever been on the other side where someone's like no nope, i need troy troy is the person i want to bring on my team have you ever been that and, and how did you how did that work no i've been on both sides of that i've actually been on both sides of that where um you know i, I went through a stage in my career up until this position at tedco 
where um, I didn't do an interview. I kept getting jobs. People would just call and say, hey, got this job, you want it, you know, you know come and just chat about it and make sure it's, we connected. And I haven't really do a real formal interview till I did a few months ago to do this job with Tetco. Uh, and that was a span of 10, 12 years. And I had a number of jobs over that time, probably 15 years. Um, but one of the, one of the I, I live by, Alex, two, um, I live by well, live by several tenants, but two of the tenants that are relevant for this is um, someone taught me both of these. Is number one, my job, my number one job outside of the safety of the of the of the organization is to work my way out of my job. And when you first hear that, that sounds like the craziest thing you've ever heard. But if you take that and then understand my second analogy, which is um, I only want people on my team who other people want. In other words, I, I, I want the, if, 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 if I was on my team and you can't go get a job nowhere else, why, why won't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then that leads me to um, then doing things that uh, keep you there, which I'll come to another point in a second. But the, the last one is um, having strong number twos. And so when you put all those things together, you have kind of how I think about talent and how I think about the, the, the coaching of talent and the advancement of talent. I'm, I'm very proud of the fact that, you know, I just recently left UDC and again, it really just, it happened fairly quickly, but over the last several years, I had been grooming three individuals at some point to, to either take my job or, you know, get a, get an opportunity somewhere else. One of them got a great opportunity at another university. Uh, but the young man who was my deputy, my number two, advanced and is now sitting in the seat. He's got the title of acting there, but I, I anticipate that they'll remove that. He's doing a great job. And then the young, another young lady that we were coaching, she's kind of, kind of stepping into his role as the acting deputy. The point I'm making is, you know, these are individuals who have had opportunities to leave, who I had to kind of do things to make sure that they, they did that, which brings me to my final point and my observation of, I think you fit this, I don't know your age, but I, I, I've been saying this, if you look at the, this, this, this demographic of those of you that are under 40, um, I'm, I'm, I think there's several things about that demographic. And I know there's a couple of generations in that, but, that, but stay with me. Um, one is they ain't gonna be the ones who go and work at, pick a company for 30 years doing the same thing and get the gold watch. That, that model is dead. That might as well be the dinosaur. Um, and number two in that, you all came up in the video game era. And that's the relevant point. Because in that, you, like my son, you're always looking for that next level, that next skill, that next thing to attain. So as a manager, my job is to make sure that you've got that next challenge, that next skill. Because if you don't, if you don't get that next level, you're going to get bored and you're going to leave. And, and so I think as managers for that may be listening to this that have a, a bunch of folks that are kind of that, that demographic, you know, and I, I, don't, I don't understand the millenniums and all other stuff. I lost track of all that stuff. But that <laughs> under 40, I think that's, that's, I think they're going to change the definition of work. Matter of fact, I think COVID is accelerating that conversation. Yeah. That said, back just being repetitive and closing, that if you as a manager have this talent that's under 40 and you aren't finding new ways, and it doesn't have to always be a new title or a new job, it just has to be a new challenge. It has to be a new way for them to do something, do something different. And they may, by the way, back to the video, they may not always be 100% ready for that, but they're willing to try and they're willing to fail. Just like with the video game, they got four or five lives. They're willing to fail 
and get rebirthed and try it again. (laughs) Thank you for tuning in to The Alex Tremble Show. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. The results are in. Research has found that networking is one of the four skills absolutely required to successfully advance in your career. However, when asked, most government employees state that they don't network because they believe that networking is for extroverts and for people who care more about their own careers than the organization's mission. But what if there was a way to ethically network without looking self-absorbed and being a super extrovert? Well, there is. Alex Tremble has created a seven-week online networking course specifically designed to give ambitious leaders like yourself the skills needed to become a strategic networker. This course uses time-tested and research-backed strategies to help you identify, build, and maintain critical relationships with influential leaders. Visit alextremble.com courses networking to learn more about his networking model today. Use the discount code podcastfamily on the checkout screen to receive a 20% discount. Don't delay. Enroll today at alextremble.com courses networking. And now back to The Alex Tremble Show with your host, Alex Tremble. Well, you know, and, and you just, so you just talked about how to develop that pipeline bet- behind you, being very intentional with providing them with challenges so they can keep growing. Um, and that's phenomenal. And then what, do you, what are your thoughts, what are your ideas for, um, for like someone in your position to, to, to be that person? How do you be that person that people say, oh, I need Troy. Like again, you said like 10 years of your career, the last 10 years, people just picked you up and called you. How did you make that happen? So I remember something a professor I had at um, HBS said uh, in one of our classes. He said, um, you want to be in your career where you get to the point in your career where when people are talking about a subject matter and they're thinking about a name associated with that subject matter, you want the two or three people that they name. And so you want to create, um, you know, my daddy used to tell me, um, you know, the only thing you really control in life, because you don't control time, but you do control how you spend your time and how you spend your time is how you will present yourself because I can't control what you think of me, but I can control how I present myself to you. And so that's integrity. And so what people want around them are people who are, who are smart, hardworking, and have integrity. And so how you present yourself and how you present some knowledge that you have, and you are in that, those two or three, when they have that, um, that, 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 that area, they say, that guy or that young lady is the person I want. That's what you have to be able to get to that point. And so that's, believe, I believe that I've gotten to that point um, where people can say, I know I can put him in a position and I know he'll do a good job. You, look, I could not agree with you more. And, and at the same time, I think, so many people, because I was, I'm one of them. So many people are so afraid of becoming an expert because they believe that being a generalist is, is better. It's, it's better to be well-rounded than be, to be an expert in anything. But if you're an expert, like you said, your name is the one that pops up when, when something comes up. Did you ever have that, 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 that push pull between focusing and becoming an expert in what you do versus being a generalist? 
Well, I think I'm a little, you know, I've, I'm probably a little of that, both. You know, I've, I've been able to have um, kind of three or four or five or six careers, depending on how you count. Um, you know, I've been a consultant. I, I've been an engineer. Uh, I, I've, I've been a, uh, an entrepreneur. Um, I've been a financial services and run a company. I've been in higher ed. Uh, but I think there's, there are skills. I think the point you're making, there are skills and talents. And so it's not so much, look, there's nothing wrong with knowing something intimately and having that deep knowledge. Absolutely. But I, so that to me is what I call vertical skills. That, that's having that vertical knowledge. And that's important. And that's, that's, there's, we need those types of individuals. Don't get me wrong. But I also think there's horizontal skills uh, that uh, more and more, particularly this under 40 generation I talked about, have and, and are really thinking through is how do I have horizontal skills and they become skills that become applicable across any different types of areas. And, and people will hire you because they figure you'll just get, you'll be smart enough to figure it out. I mean, I, I, I remember my time at McKinsey, you know, I started McKinsey, I'm an electrical engineer, uh, start there and uh, get my MBA, got this computer science background. And you know, I ended up doing some technology work, but over time I ended up becoming uh, the firm's, one of the firm experts on specialty chemicals. I ain't know nothing about specialty chemicals, but I ended up working for this one client who I spent a ton of time with, really did help them out tremendously. They actually, to your earlier question, called me back. I'd done a study. They had another way they want to do. They actually asked for me uh, to come back and, and do a pretty, even a bigger study. Uh, and it was in this space called specialty chemicals. I didn't know nothing about specialty chemicals. I couldn't even spell specialty chemicals before I started. He was selling these acetate. I didn't know nothing about selling these acetate uh, when I started. And now I know all this stuff in my head about <laughs> acetate. And, mm -hmm. Because it, the point, the more serious point is um, more companies, yes, there are times you need vertical expertise. You need someone who knows how to do a very specific thing around accounting or programming. But I think there are a number of opportunities that allow you to learn those things because you know how to learn. And you're, back to my earlier, but you're willing to learn. You're willing to fail. I think that's the thing is we as Blacks, we gotta, we gotta be willing to what I call fail forward. Mm -hmm. You gotta be willing to risk. And I think we have to change our risk profile for our careers, uh, for our portfolios, uh, for our relationships. We gotta be willing to put ourselves out and open ourselves. And I think that's the hard part of what I'm probably talking about. Um, because in that you, I, I, I will not sit here and tell you that all the relationships I tried to develop worked because they didn't. And did I get hurt by some of those? I did. Um, but you can't allow that hurt. You can't allow that potential for failure or the failure that did happen to stop from keep trying. Again, again you've said so much and I, I won't, I won't hit on everything, but I want to put a pin in that last thing you said. Um, not being afraid of failure, understanding that it is a part of the game. You cannot succeed without failing because no one is great at anything in the beginning. You just you have to get better. Um, you know, I'll tell you right, for one example, when I, uh, when I started doing this business, you know, I was afraid initially to reach out for clients. I'm like, what if they say no? What if they don't like me? What if and my wife told me, Alex, what if they do say no? There's like a billion plus people in this world. There's someone else. <laughs> if you reach out to this person to try to connect with them and they don't connect with you, okay, there's someone else. Um, there's always another try, this, this, this idea that I'm going to lose everything, I think is somewhat of a, a false idea because even if you lose quote unquote everything, you still have time to start back over. And again, unless you mm -hmm. die, you can still say, you know what? 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to keep going up. There's so many examples of people who, of millionaires and CEOs who've lost everything and built an empire back up because they had those skills, they had those experiences, and they now knew if I do things it's a little bit differently, it could do it even better. Innovation comes from failure. I mean, I, I love the story. There's all kinds of stories, but I'm, most of us probably know the story of the sticky notes. I got a bunch of them sitting on my desk, right? You know, sticky notes actually uh, created 3M, the big 3M company, was out of a failure. I mean, they were trying to create a, a stronger glue and they ended up creating sticky notes. And so, you know, um, that was a failure for what they were trying to do, but it became a massively successive thing of what, you know, we all got sticky notes, right? Um, and, and I never forget when I first got into uh, venture capital working, um, leading uh, Go South Capital, because we had funds and um, we were a limited partner in a number of the big West Coast f uh, uh, funds that, you know, started all those big companies out on the West Coast. So I got a chance to go out there and meet, you know, these guys who are just titans. They're just, you know, the legends in terms of you know, picking these companies. And every single one to the one said, you know, Troy, I learned far more from, from the, where we lost money from where we made money. Um, and I learned far more from those than, than from anything that we could have as a success. And the successes make the newspapers and they, they, they you know, make our LPs money and all that. But it's the failures that really help make those things happen. And so you got to be willing to fail. And as long as, look, as long as you don't have a moral failure or uh, an mm -hmm. ethical failure or, yeah. you know, legal failure, you know, let's put, let's put those wherever you want to put those. Um, this is a failure. I, mean, I used to tell people all the time, man, um, I'd much rather you um, be right. I'd much rather you be right doing something than being wrong doing something. In other words, I want, I want a bias to action. I say the wrong. I want a bias yeah. to action. So even if that means what you did was wrong, I'd so much rather you do that than doing nothing. And maybe you were right, but at least have a bias to action. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you you mentioned a word which which again jogged my memory on something I, I had to ask you while we we're on while we we're on a film, um, three ounce bottle. What what's up with the three ounce bottle? <laughs> so yeah, so you know, look, we're in the middle of this COVID, you know, and I'm gonna try to make this thing a political. We're, and this is this is real. Uh, my sister, I love my one of my sisters is the is the health commissioner for the city of Columbus. And so I'm, you know, I'm intimately seeing, you know, kind of the struggles as she's making these literally life or death decisions about uh, how, how to manage and how to protect the public in many cases from itself. But, you know, let's all think about, you know, just a few, not just a few, but, you know, years ago when 9-11 uh, happened. So 9-11 happened and, you know, at the time I was traveling, and I, like, there's a story there I won't bore your listeners with, but, you know, after 9-11, our behaviors changed, right? How air travel, how security happened, how we secure things happened. And, and so the example I'm talking about now is, you know, from leading TEDCO and thinking about the, the behavior, because our behaviors are changing. Just like our, the definition of normal is going to change and it's changing. The definition of normal, but look, I'm old enough to remember you could show up five minutes before your plane took off and could get on I the remember. plane. <laughs> you could get on the plane. Five minutes, okay? You, you know, I'm old enough to remember. Family OJ. was with you. Everyone was with you. I remember, you know, OJ Simpson running to the airport, you know, <laughs> you know, in the commercials. And so there was a time that was normal. 9 11 happens. That ain't normal. Mm -hmm. Normal is showing up an hour and a half before, and normal includes the three ounce bottles. You know, we all had to get the little three ounce bottle to, to travel. That's, that was the thing. 
The point being is if, if I had been smart enough, you had been smart to invest in the company that made those three ounce bottles, I'd be probably not having this conversation with you right now. I'd be doing something different or I'd, or I'd be having it from a different place that I'm at right now. <laughs> the point being, I, I, as a leading Tedco, I'm asking myself, what's that three ounce? What's the behavioral change that technology is going to support to support what we do going forward? Because we are going to change. Again, what I think the vaccine is going to happen. Are we going to quote cure? We don't have a cure for the flu, but you know, we um, we keep doing. You know, we keep going about it. And so, there are going to be behavioral changes that come out of this. And, and let me. And so, I'm trying to figure out what that three ounce bottle example is for us. But let me say this because I think this is important. I've been saying this a lot here in Maryland. If all we're trying to do is restart what was, we have missed a massive opportunity. Yeah, yeah. We have to be rethinking, re-engineering, re-something the economy because what it has exposed is what was always there the fractures that were there, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. gender, on race, on socioeconomics that were there that were just, hit, they weren't even hidden. They were in plain sight. We just ignored them. Yeah. Uh, and now they are blatantly in our face. And so if all we do is restart what was, um, heaven help us is all I can say, heaven help yeah. us. Well, I, I know our time together is starting to wind down, but I, there's a few things I wanted to ask you. Um, one, you believe in volunteering. You believe in giving back. Um, at the same time, as again, as, as an executive, your time is extremely valuable. How do you decide where to spend your time? How do you decide what organizations and associations to participate in and join and, and where to volunteer? How do you manage and make those, those time decisions? My wife would say, I don't well. Uh, <laughs> that, that's the short answer. I don't do that well. And probably some truth to that. Um, you know, part of it is my kids. I have two teenage, they're not teenagers. Um, and so we're very involved uh, with their, uh, they're both uh, competitive swimmers. Yeah, black people do swim, for those that may not know that. Uh, my kids, I think my kids swim very well. Um, and so I'm involved, I'm a, a, a USA certified official in that, and I, I enjoy that. You know, I go to a lot of the meets, um, and I'm an official with that. Um, as the kids were growing up, um, I was uh, the coach for their, uh, my son was on a robotics team at his uh, junior high school, elementary school, and I became on an award-winning robotics team. I was very excited about that. Um, you know, and, and I'm involved with my church. Uh, very involved with them, and I'm in some other civic and fraternal organizations. But the answer to your question is, um, you, you know, you got, you got to be selective. You know, you got to be selective. I believe there's three types of things you, you there's three buckets of things you do in life. Um, there's one set of things that you do, Alex, that you have to intimately be involved with. You have, you are the man. You are the man. You are the woman. And that ain't but two or three, four or five things that you can, you are the leader of. The, the next bucket of things are things that you are one of the leaders of and you're driving and supportive of and that you, know, you can do more of that from a time point of view. And then there's the last bucket of stuff where you're just an advisor. You just have lent your name or they're, they're updating you a quarterly basis or monthly basis, whatever it is. And so it's, it's finding that balance amongst those three. What happens to too many folks is they got too much stuff in that first bucket. And I used to be that. You, know, you got too much stuff in where well, you're the guy. The and you got to find a way to again get others, allow them, coach them, so that they can 
be so you can be more in that second bucket or even maybe the third bucket where you can lend yourself it's more of a lending yourself so part of this is how do you lend yourself versus leading yourself lending versus leading i i hadn't heard that concept before and i i really appreciate that lending versus leading well uh, I, i'm going to circle back around one last question before I, I pass it over to you for any final thoughts um earlier you mentioned that you had tried to build relationships in the past and some of those relationships didn't work. Um, can, you, can you share a little more on that? Have, have you ever been in a situation where um, a relationship was very important for your business, for your organization, but it wasn't going well? Um, was there, how did that happen? Were you able to rectify it? How did you rectify it? Yeah, yeah I'll keep, you know, the, keep the names and the places missing and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, there's definitely been times when I have been, you know, and my wife reminds me, you know, I sat in the seat. You know, when you sit in the seat and you're the C whatever, um, you, you're dependent upon people to give you information. And, you know, and, and part of, I, I will say one thing I probably got to work on more is being, being more like Reagan, you know, trust but verify. Uh, I probably put too much of the trust and not enough of the verify. Um, and so times when I've uh, trusted and, you know, and, and went down paths or signed documents or whatever it was and didn't validate or verify that there was the right information, I was signing the right doc, whatever, you know, whatever, whatever it might have been. And um, it hurt the relationship. And so, uh, again, maybe something I need to work on is, you know, I just believe because of my faith that um, I'm supposed to forgive because I've been forgiven. And so I probably do have more of a forgiving heart than may, maybe others. Um, but that's, that's me and that's, that's, that's how I'm built. So to answer your question, I think part of this is um, I'm, all, I'm always the one willing to take the hurt, even if it means uh, taking on a hurt that I don't deserve have, or have earned. But that also comes a lot with both my personality, but also when you sit in the chair, that's part of what happens. You, you, you get more glory than, you, than you've earned and you get more shame than, you, than, than, than was required. But that's part of sitting in the chair. And if, you, and if those that are listening aren't willing to, to take that on, they, people wanna be the sea level because they see the glory, right? Um, uh, I'll say this, you know, I think too many times we don't wanna go through the process. We, we don't want to see the sausage making it. You want to, everybody wants to be, you know, the, 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 the athlete, the, 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 the celebrity, but I always am more enamored with the story of how they got to that space. And when you really see some of these stories, some of these people went through pure hell. And if you're not willing to go through pure hell and get rejected, um, get turned down, mm -hmm. um, live, live, you know, there's tons of stories. People know them publicly, you know, living on the streets, living in your car, being homeless. If you're not willing to go through those depths, then you're not you don't you're not willing to pay the price to be in the game. Uh, I'm I'm so glad we we are wrapping up on that topic because I think that is so important. Is that I, I consistently talk to people who who want so much, but they're not willing to pay anything for it. Mm -hmm. I, I tell people, um, you know, I think it's, uh, don't don't be upset with the results you didn't get by the work you didn't do. Yeah. Um, if you only put a dollar in, if you only put a dollar into something, you can't expect to get a hundred thousand dollars back. If you only put a dollar in, I mean, come on, you gotta, you gotta put something into, you gotta have some real skin in the game. And, uh, and literally sometimes you get skinned when you put skin in the game. That's, that's just the truth of it. And, um, this isn't, uh, 
the, the world didn't promise you anything. It's not, it doesn't owe you anything. I don't believe it does. Um, but you got to go out and earn it and you got to show that you bring something to the table. And then back to the point I made, if you show you got some table, I think eventually someone will see that and take notice of that. But you got to be willing to, to invest into yourself. And if you do that, then you can be one of those people like Troy was who, who gets called. When, when, when they know they need somebody who, who's dependable, who can get the job done, they know his name. They will know your name. Um, and so I, I really appreciate you, you driving home that point. Um, so what I want to do is I want to pass it over to you. Are there any final thoughts, ideas, um, concepts you'd like to share with those who are watching about, again, maybe life, maybe their career, advancement, whatever it may be? Um, I think I've said a lot of them already. I think, look, um, have faith in yourself, um, but understand that uh, it's going to get tested, um, you know, to, 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 you know, but I also believe, you know, to quote the Bible, if I may, you know, faith without works is, is dead. And so just because you got faith, you got to work at it. Um, and you got you to gotta be willing to put, like we just talked about, you got to put, put the effort into it. And, you know, part of what I'm doing at TEDCO is, you know, investing in entrepreneurs. I invite people to come visit our website, um, you know, TEDCO. TEDCO uh, com, you'll see the different funding and service vehicles that we have. But, but the point being is, um, I'll never forget back to my, I told you about the venture capital folks that I met. They always told me, this is probably a good, good place to close. They always told me, Troy, you always, always invest in A quality people that probably have a B quality plan, never the reverse. Never who come with an A quality plan and a B quality people. Because at the end of the day, and I, we've changed a little bit of our statement at, at TEDCO, because it's about economic empowerment. To me, empowerment is I'm trying to, I'm not investing in a company, I'm investing in a person. I'm investing in a person's ideas and their hope. I, I like uh, Alex's um, etymology, the, the, the history of words. And if you look at the, uh, the history of the word hope, it talks about to bend and to, to it's not about some, some flaky expectation. Hope means that I can put something in place and to bend it into place such that it has a reality. And so that's what we're trying to do at TEDCO is, is to build what I call hope makers uh, for the future. And so um, you can come visit us and uh, thank you for, uh, for inviting me. I want to thank my very dear friend and our dear friend, Linda Gen General. I was never if it's Dr. General, Linda, General Doctor, Linda Singh. <laughs> um, uh, she's, she knows I joke with her about that, uh, who's just a dear friend and has been a, a mentor to me. And so uh, thank you for introducing us. I couldn't say, I couldn't say anything more than that. I'm, I'm going to now email her now and say, thank her again for connecting <laughs> me with you because this has been a phenomenal learning opportunity, not only for those who are watching and listening, but for me, myself. So I, I greatly appreciate it. Um, for everyone who's watching right now, if you found this valuable, please don't keep this to yourself. As Troy laid out earlier, be willing to reach back. Don't just look back. Look back and reach back. Provide them with skills. Provide others with this information that's going to help them grow and help them reach their skills as well. Again, if you like this video, please click the like, click the subscribe, whatever buttons there are, click those buttons. And again, continue to watch these videos and support um, those around you as well. So as always, I'd like to end my sessions with stay strong, stay positive, and definitely stay moving. Thanks for listening. Find us online at thealextrembleshow.com and be sure to share what you've learned with at least one other person today.
Check back on the first and third Wednesday of each month for new episodes. Until next time, stay strong, stay positive, and definitely stay moving.